BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? Ah, thinking about gas mileage. A bottle of Lucas Complete Fuel Treatment can clean your system and help your engine get more MPGs. Right now, you can get two bottles for only $9.99. A great deal to help you go a great deal farther. Find Lucas Complete Fuel Treatment and everything you need for better fuel efficiency at any one of our 6,300 stores. Restrictions apply. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Welcome to the Hornets Hivecast, the official podcast of your Charlotte Hornets. Here's your host, Sam Farber. Welcome to another edition of the Hornets Hivecast, your daily podcast with all the notes, quotes, and daily buzz around your favorite NBA team, the Charlotte Hornets. I'm Sam Farber, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us once again on the Hornets Hivecast. Unfortunately, another Silver Linings edition, Charlotte just running into a very difficult road trip some extremely talented teams, and they're all playing well. So uh, a tough loss for the Hornets last night to the Clippers, 125-98. to We will break it down. We'll also look ahead to the last two games of this road trip as the squad heads to Texas today. And it is March Madness. We're into round two now of the tournament. And so we are going to give you our favorite tournament teams involving current Hornets players. Could be any team that they played on, two teams that were top four seeds that we really liked, and one of your Cinderella stories, someone that was a five seed or worse that made a run that we really enjoyed. And when I say we, I mean myself and my producer, Rob Longo, back here again on the Hornets Hivecast. Rob, late night for the Hornets last night, a loss in L.A. that really was determined basically off the first quarter. Clippers came out. They were a buzzsaw. What were your takeaways from that game? Hornets never led. It was a wire-to-wire win for the Clippers, and you kind of just alluded to it. It was just too much to handle for the Hornets. The Clippers at one point to start the game were 7-9 shooting. That extended to 11-13 off of 7 assists. So the ball movement was there for Los Angeles as well. Clippers finished the first quarter 15-21 from the floor, and any time you get to that point, it's just going to snowball. It even extended to the foul line as well with the Clippers going 23-23, from the charity stripe, so just overall a hot shooting day from the Clippers. And at that point, there's not really much you can do because once you fall behind, you start kind of falling in love with the three ball a little bit. You maybe get a little bit too much aggressive trying to pressure, and it just kind of snowballs from there. And that's not to say that the Hornets didn't shoot well by any means. They ended up shooting 
for the game, 39%. But again, a lot of that was in garbage time and not kind of that area where you really needed to perform well to try to get back into the game. The Clippers shot the ball lights out. It was one of their best efforts of the season shooting the basketball, and they're arguably the best shooting team in the NBA. So you have to be really good to have that kind of night. Now, they did get a lot of open stuff in the paint, but honestly, I thought the effort of Paul George in the first half, almost on its own, was enough to push the Clippers to an insurmountable lead. They just played an outstanding game. Sometimes you just have to tip your cap Give credit where credit's due. A 125 to 98 win for the Clippers. They improve with it to 27 and 16. Hornets falling to 20 and 21. I understand a lot of the Twitter chatter after the game being, well, what what are the Hornets going to do to fix this? What moves need to be made? What stuff has to be done? I think you look at the three teams they played. Th- this whole road trip was supposed to be a test. This was an opportunity to see how do you measure up against these elite teams. When I say elite, I mean Any one of the three teams that the Hornets just played could go on and win an NBA title, and no one would be surprised about it. Maybe they'd be surprised because, oh, you beat one of those other two teams that we're talking about here. But all of them are very much in the mix to win a championship. And this is a Hornets team that the expectation, the hope, was that they would make the jump to get in the playoffs. Yes, it would have been great to get a win. It would have been great to be a little closer in more than just the Lakers game. I mean, we alluded to it in previous podcasts where it was almost a schedule loss after that Los Angeles game because you're going from Denver to a high altitude on the road playing an MVP caliber guy like Nikola Jokic, who, of course, you know was able to drop a triple-double. Then you go play LeBron and the Lakers the following night in Los Angeles, and then you get a day off, and then in that process you lose your starting center in Cody Zeller, and then you get a couple of injuries in the second quarter last night where P.J. Washington had to come off the floor in the second quarter because of an ankle. LaMelo Ball hit the floor pretty hard, banged his wrist. Wasn't the same after that to that point. So at that point, you're almost down essentially three starters, and you're kind of back to square one where not only do you have these two losses in the rearview mirror, but now you're down three starters. And at that point, you're just trying to weather the storm to get to being somewhat healthy when you take on a really good San Antonio team tomorrow night. 125 to 98, the final score, a decisive win for the Clippers. Again, credit where credit's due. I thought they played overwhelmingly well enough to beat most teams in the NBA. I mean, if you play the Clippers, I don't care who you are, and they shoot 60% from the floor for a half, they're going to beat you. They're just that good. If Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and that group play to that level, they are going to win most games in the NBA regardless of the opposition. But there were still some silver linings. I'll let you go first, your silver lining on uh, this uh, past contest. I'm going to leave the obvious one for you. I'm going to go oh, with, I thank you. Your, of course, anytime. My pleasure as being your guest. I am going to go with Terry Rozier. Terry Rozier did not have a great night shooting. He finished with eight points. However, he was two and nine from three, but he did hit his 300th triple with the Hornets. He is the fastest player in franchise history to do that. In 102 games, Devontae Graham was the previous one to do that. It took him 127 games in order to do so. And that just goes back to how great of a season Terry Rozier has had in his, I don't want to call it a resurgence in Charlotte ever since coming over from Boston, but he has definitely gotten a lot more opportunity here in a Queen City. I like it. A cumulative pick. I like it. I like it. I'm going to give mine to the obvious guy from last night, Miles Bridges. Biombo out to Rozier into the corner. Martin catch and shoot. Nope. 
catch and pass to Miles Bridges. He's left alone. He'll fire the three, and he knocks it down. Miles Bridges, his first three-pointer since the All-Star break. He had been in a bit of a slump shooting from distance coming into this one, but really for Miles, as with P.J. Washington, it's about the quantity of shots that determines how he's going to score. His quality of shooting has been fairly consistent throughout the season. He's getting penalized unnecessarily for the fact that he has a different role this year than he has in the past. And I thought J.B., after the game, talking about Miles' contributions, kind of hit it on the nose that this is a guy who is playing well, asked to do different things this year from last year, and he is making some major contributions to this team's success. He's a guy that can put pressure on the rim. He's making good decisions. He's made good decisions this year. You know, he's developed in that area of playmaking. So I'm proud of him this year. He's really taken a step forward. His ability to drive closeouts. I thought he made some shots tonight. I think his confidence, you know, bringing his confidence back up as far as shooting the ball was important tonight. So when Miles is making shots and he's driving in, he's making plays for us, we're a much better team. So I liked his performance tonight. It's easy to look at him and say, well, last year he averaged 13 points, and this year he's averaging nine points, so something must be wrong. But last year he attempted 11 shots per game. Now he's averaging seven. So he is on a nightly basis not being asked to contribute in scoring. He's being asked to do different things, rebound, energy defensively. And, yes, yeah, some nights he's going to have the green light and have more opportunities and the, the seas will part and he'll go out there and have a big day. And he did last night, season high, 21 points. But I think that shot attempts, that's the key. To, if you want him to score more, you got to let him shoot more. I'm talking about fans. And I don't think most fans would say, well, let's take some shots away from LaMelo Ball or let's take some shots away from Gordon Hayward and have Miles take them instead because Miles is impacting the game in other areas. It's probably not in the team's best interest to alter the shot distribution a huge amount from where they've been. But this was a good night to see exactly what Miles can do. If he is given double-figure shots, he can come through with a 20-point performance. The law of averages has to go somewhere. I mean, if you're going to take away four shot attempts per game and you're maybe averaging, let's see, what, 40% from the field, I mean, that's going to be a pretty big difference at the end of the day. So keep in mind that, and also keep in mind, today is only his 23rd birthday, so he's a younger guy. That's not easy to have a younger guy not only come off the bench, but also have him change his role from season to season. It's maybe easier if you know you're a 10 or 11 year vet in the NBA. It might be easier for you to adjust on a nightly basis. But not only is he asking to do different things, he's also being asked to play different positions, not only from game to game, but night in and night out. Good silver linings today. We got to look ahead. Hornets are heading to Texas now. Team is 0-3 so far on this road trip. There's no getting around that, but looking for greener pastures in the Lone Star State. We'll talk about the road ahead when we roll along here on the Hornets Hivecast. Buzz City, it's time to return to the Hive. There are a limited number of socially distanced tickets available for each game. Fans can expect enhanced cleaning and disinfection procedures and an upgraded ventilation system at Spectrum Center because the health and safety of the team, staff, and guests is the top priority at the Hive. Join us when the Hornets fly again Friday, April 26th at 8 p.m. as the Hornets host the defending Eastern Conference champion Miami Heat. Tickets on sale now at Hornets.com. Sam Far- Barber and Rob Longo here with you on the Hornets Hivecast today. Hornets road trip continues in Texas. They'll take on the Spurs and Rockets next. Entering the road trip, Rob, we talked to a lot of different people, players, coaches, other media members for this 
podcasts and otherwise about expectations for the road trip. What do you remember most people saying they thought would be a good record for the end of this road trip? I think a lot of people realistically were looking at two and three. I heard some three and twos, and I was like, I don't know about that just because of the way that the first three games were set up. Now, maybe it might have been different if you went Denver, then an off night, and then maybe you had a back-to-back in L.A., who knows, but we're not here to do hypotheticals. So that's what I recall. Most people seem to say two and three would be a good road trip. That's a good result to come back with. And there's still three games up on the last spot into the playoff or the play-in tournament. So the Hornets are still very much in their target area. And the most difficult road games of the season, you can argue, are now in their rearview mirror with the two L.A. games and the Denver one. So looking forward, this team going to try and turn the corner. Obviously, you got to find the win somewhere. Gordon Hayward, though, after last night's game, saying that this is just part of this long NBA season, and it is just not time to panic yet. I think the beautiful thing about this is that I think we've been here before earlier this season. I think we've lost two or three in a row and dug our way out of it. You know, so I think it's just we got to get back to who we are. I think our defense has to be better. There's there's no doubt about that. It puts pressure on our offense when we, you know, we're, we're going against a set defense all the time. I think one of the best things we do is get out in transition. And when they're scoring every time, we can't do it. So, you know, I think just, like, be who we are. There's no there's no reason to press. Like I said, I think this is how the season goes. There's there's going to be have times where you're not playing your best, and, and then you're going to have other times where you feel like you're on top of the world. And I think we've seen that already in the last two weeks or whatever, we won four or five in a row, four in a row, and then now we lost three in a row. So it's kind of how this thing works, especially this season. You know, this season more than ever, we have game every other every other day or whatever. So there's no time to to dwell on the loss. Let's try to try to move on and get the next one. Hornets with the loss fall to twenty and twenty one. Keep in mind, start of the season, most of the experts, most of the the prognosticators out there put the Hornets at a 25-48 and 48 predicted finish to the season. So they've already almost got the win total, and there's almost half the season left to go. So this team has exceeded many national expectations, and in terms of achieving their goals, everything is still out there on the table for them. And I don't think we need to look at this road trip as a sort of a barometer. We kept saying that this Clippers game last night was a test to see where the franchise was this season. I don't think you can take a huge chunk of stock in it. Again, you were without your starting center, Cody Zeller, and that the way that the season has gone for the Hornets this year, it seems like somebody has always been injured, so I guess you can't really make excuses at that point, but I think Gordon has kind of hit the nail on the head there. You just got to kind of get back to basics a little bit. If you're able to get some stops defensively, get able to run out into the front court and get some of those buckets in transition, that kind of creates that offense that they've been looking for, and they just weren't able to do that last night against the Clippers, who are fourth in offensive rating, just do a really good job putting the ball in the hoop, and we saw it in the first half, shooting 63%. End of the day, they played three of the best teams in the NBA. Again, any one of them, if you told me, hey, at the end of the season, either the Nuggets, the Lakers, or the Clippers are going to be the ones raising the banner next year, I'd say, yeah, I can see that. James Borrego, after the game, talking about the quality of the opponents and the fact that, you know, the the road the Hornets are on is to beat where these teams are now at some point in the near future, but that they didn't just magically appear at this level of play. They underwent a process as well. I think the the positive is that we we continue to fight, we keep battling, 
and our guys are getting experience against top level competition. I mean, th these are the, the elite teams in the NBA. This is what you're trying to become someday. And these teams, trust me, they didn't just arrive where they're at today. This is taking years and years. You know, I could go down that roster. I could give you Kawhi Leonard as a rookie and where he's at today. Paul George, where he was as a rookie, where he's at today. And I could go up and down. Lou Williams, they got tons of vets over there. Nick Batum. A lot of my group, they're seeing this for the first time. And that's okay. This is the process you have to go through. And you go through the fire. But that fire, it shapes you. It forms you, you know. And the goal right now is just not to get our, our heads down and our spirits beat. You get up the next day and you go, let's get better. What did we learn from that? And where, how do we take that into the next game? And that's my challenge now is, you know, as the head coach here is continue to move this group forward, keep growing. And we'll be there someday. I have no doubt about that. I love where we're at. I love where we're at. You know, what we've done in the last two years and where the strides we made from last year to this year, my goal is to be in that position one day. And it just takes, you got to, you just got to go through this fire and that's okay. That's part of the process. So I have a group of guys that will continue to battle and continue to fight and they'll stay together and nobody's hanging their heads right now. Important to realize that this is still a team being forged and there is certainly the potential that this roster could look very similar two years from now as it does today. And with the parts that are already there, be the foundation to a top four, top five squad in the Eastern Conference. And you would hope at some point a championship one. But they're building this, as JB said, and these are some of the hard-learned lessons. But as you mentioned, we, we want to get to the fun of this one. So it's tournament time. Second round of the tournament is underway. And there have been some great tournament results for several of the current Hornets players. So we're going to go through the archives, find the best Hornets player-involved teams, and give you our one seeds, our two seeds, and our Cinderella stories as we roll along here on the Hornets Hivecast. Hornets fans, be sure to download the Hornets app on your mobile device. The Hornets app is your access to all new features and exclusive content, including the new game day experience for every game this season. All right, it's March Madness here on the Hornets Hivecast, and there have been some great, great teams that the current crop of Hornets have been on when they were in college that made some Big tournament runs. One, of course, had an iconic March Madness moment that he was involved in. And so it's time to give our favorite teams involving Hornets from March Madness. So here are the rules, Rob. You get to pick two top seed teams. So two teams that you would, you know, maybe want to put in the tournament today and think this is the team that would have the best chance to win a national championship, even though they didn't win it that particular year. And then one Cinderella story that was your favorite. And so you get to go first. You give your two top seeds in a Cinderella story. Are we going one and one back and forth? Yes. Yes. So I got to pick my first overall. You better overall. pick your top seed. All right. So I feel like we're on the same wavelength with this one. I'm going to say the 2016-2017 Kentucky team. Okay. 32-6. and six, They lost to UNC in the Elite Eight. The big three on that team. Malik Monk, of course. Bam Adebayo. And De'Aaron Fox. I mean, that's a pretty darn good big three right there. The thing, though, that I looked up that I thought was interesting was the recruiting class that came in the following year. Nick Richards, P.J. Washington, Hamadou D'Alio, who's with the Pistons now, Kevin Knox, and then Quade Green. And I threw Quade Green in there just because I had called his high school state championship game in Pennsylvania, and then he ended up transferring. He's now just wrapped up his last year of eligibility at the University of Washington. But, yeah, 
2016-2017 Kentucky team, pretty darn good. Pretty darn good. All right, good pick. My number one seed then, I'm going to go with the 2016 Kansas team. It's a team that had Devontae Graham on it. Okay. 33-5. and five. They were a one seed who lost in the Elite Eight, but they lost to the eventual national champions from Villanova. The only difficult thing about this one for me was I was really torn because I actually really loved the 2017 and 18 teams as well. But this is the one that I felt did the best, so I went with them. Also had Frank Mason III, who's made it in the NBA. Svi Mikhailuk, who is currently, I think, with Oklahoma City now. He was with Detroit when we saw them earlier this season. Just a great, great team. Devontae Graham had such a good run in college. That Kansas arrow, if he had it at any school other than Kansas or any of those you know blue blood programs where it's kind of championship or bust, they'd say this is the greatest era this program's ever seen. But a Kansas, it just a whole hum. We made it. We got a couple more one seeds and a few more elite eights. But I really enjoyed Devontae Graham in college, and that 2016 team is my top seed. You have one more top seed to pick. So I did the 2017-18 Kansas team, who went 31-8 and that year. Devontae was the leading scorer in 15 of those 31 games. There was Sylvia D'Souza, who is still there this year. Yudoka Azabuke, who's with the Jazz now. They did lose in the Final Four to Villanova, but Villanova did win the national championship that year. They had Malik Newman, who was in the G League with Canton for a little while, and now he's playing over in Israel. So still a pretty solid team, but I still like that 2016-2017 Kentucky team better. I like it. I like it. All right, my close calls. My close calls. Cody Zeller's 2013 Indiana team is a close call. Had Victor Oladipo on it. Mo Creek, Yogi Ferrell, very good team. Didn't put him in my top two. Terry Rozier in 2015 at Louisville, close call. They lost in the Elite Eight. They also had Montrez Harrell on that team. Didn't quite pick it. My second pick, as you left it on the table, I got to take it, is the 2019 Kentucky team that had P.J. Washington, Tyler Hero, Emmanuel Quickly, Keldon Johnson, Nick Richards. They were a two seed. They lost to Auburn in overtime in the Elite Eight. Also had Reed Travis, great player, transfer from Stanford. Really, really, really good team. It's funny, you know, like the tournament and the the one-and-done nature of it There are so many great, great, great teams that don't win a national championship that just kind of get left on the cutting room floor, as we see here. Like, outstanding players, outstanding talent. So that Nick Richards team, I like the Malik Monk pick, Malik Monk squad earlier too, but that one, the 2019 one is my two seed. All right, this is the fun part. The the off-the-beaten-path, the Cinderella stories. If you don't take the one I'm thinking of, you're just a fool. I had to. I had to because I didn't have as much time. I have other duties to my job where I cannot sit there and research as much as you did, but I got to go with the 2009-2010 Butler team with Gordon Hayward. I mean, can you just imagine if that, I know Gordon has talked about it time and time again that he doesn't care that the shot did not go in anymore, but could you just imagine what would have happened if that goes in, they take the championship trophy, and they march it down the Hinkle, just down the road. I mean, that would just have been an incredible sight. It would have been amazing. That is the obvious choice. There's no question about it. There are some other options that I could have gone with for this one. College of Charleston team, for instance, that the Hornets' Grant Riller was on. They made a tournament. Didn't make it anywhere in it, unfortunately, but he made it to a tournament. They were a lower seed. But the one that was my favorite, and I actually got to call this team back then, was the 2018 Nevada team featuring the Martin brothers. They were a seven seed, lost to another Cinderella story, 
in Loyola of Chicago, who they lost to him in the Sweet 16. They would go on to the Final Four. Team also had Jordan Caroline, who's made the G League, and a couple other players. So when I was in college, I went to George Washington University, and they had this spectacular team that ran the regular season in the Atlantic 10 Conference, unbeaten, had an unfortunately timed injury just before the conference tournament, lost their first game of the tournament. They were ranked in the top 10 most of the year, ended up with an eight seed playing in North Carolina against UNC Greensboro and Duke. So pretty much you're going to lose this, because I think at the time Duke had never lost in the state of North Carolina in the first two rounds. It was some ridiculous record, and that team had J.J. Redick on it. But completely terrible seeding job. I'm still bitter about it, obviously. But the reason GW was not remembered as the great team of that year, the, the kind of Cinderella story who made this great run, is because it was the same year George Mason existed. And so George Mason's final four run is this you know, team that shouldn't have even been in the tournament became the story, and GW kind of got left on the cutting room floor. And so I kind of feel for this Nevada team because it had such a great team. They make the Sweet 16, one of the best years in program history. The Martin brothers were great. Jordan Caroline was great. But because Loyola of Chicago made the final four, that's the team that gets remembered as being this great Cinderella story instead of Nevada. So... I thought it was a great team, also a soft spot in my heart. But, of course, I would have taken Gordon Hayward and the Butler team if you hadn't either. I had to do it. I'm sorry. I had to do it. But what's the old, what's the old saying? The, the victors always write the history books, so that's why nobody gets remembered. But that team, I remember watching that Nevada team with the Martin Twins. I go, what's this team out west doing with these two twins that look exactly the same? I mean, they're just dominating. So I definitely agree with that pick, too. Another solid Cinderella pick. So many great Cinderella stories to be had. I hope you're all enjoying the tournament, that your bracket has not been completely busted at this point. We'll uh, look forward to the next Hornets game tomorrow. They'll be in San Antonio to take on the Spurs. We'll have our preview podcast for you tomorrow, hopefully having some good news on the injury front for the Hornets, and we'll get you ready for the trip to Texas tomorrow. Thanks to Rob Longo, our producer on the Hornets Radio Network, for joining me today on the Hornets Hivecast. For everyone here, I'm Sam Farber saying it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you along. Talk to you tomorrow. Till then, in the words of LaMelo Ball. Thank you. Have a good day. Wear your mask. Thanks for listening to the Hornets Hivecast. For more coverage, visit Hornets.com.